Hey, this is Mike Shea. A uh, bit of a technical note here. Um, when we recorded this interview with Anthony Ranieri, uh, we ended up having a technical glitch for about four minutes in the first segment. Um, we didn't catch it till afterwards because we couldn't hear it. Um, but for about four minutes um, before the first song break, it sounds like Anthony Ranieri is in a bathroom. And uh, I'm not in the bathroom, but it sounds like he's in the bathroom. Uh, and I can assure you that Anthony Ranieri was not in the bathroom when we did this for four minutes. Um, we didn't pick up the mics and go into the bathroom. Uh, but it does sound like he's in a men's stall and, and I'm outside the hallway. Um, but um, I could have cut out all the, the uh, conversation, but um, it was actually some really good stuff there. So... Uh, I decided, for the sake of um, keeping things complete for the historical record, um, to keep the four minutes of Anthony Ranieri uh, uh, speaking as though he's in a bathroom uh, in this interview. So just hang on and get through it, and uh, it only appears in that first segment, and it's gone, because uh, then we finally caught it. Uh, so uh, that's it. So I do hope you enjoy. So without further ado, it's uh, the AP Podcast with Anthony Ranieri in a bathroom for four minutes. The AP Podcast is sponsored by Epitaph Records. The home to progressive metalcore unit Bring Me the Horizon, whose new album, There Is a Hell, Believe Me I've Seen It, There Is a Heaven, Let's Keep It a Secret, debuted at number 17 on the Billboard Top 200. You can see these British hellions on tour with a day to remember, which kicks off March 10th in Philadelphia. And modern folk troubadour Frank Turner, whose recent EP, Rock and Roll, will be available on vinyl for the first time come this record store day. Check out his new single, I Still Believe, and get stoked for Frank's new full-length coming this summer. For more information on these and other Epitaph new releases, go to epitaph.com. Welcome to the AP Podcast. This is Mike Shea. Today's guest is Anthony Ranieri of the band Bayside. It's one of the original founding members, and the band is now in its 11th year of existence. And it has a new record on a new label. The record is called Killing Time. It will be out February 22nd. Thank you for coming. Oh, yeah, on. thanks for having me. Um, you know, uh, Queens, New York yep. is the place where first-timers end up by accident. <laughs> Um, usually because they were supposed to get off at a stop and they right. didn't, and they end up going across the river and they end up in Queens and then they're scared. Yeah. Um, so, uh, uh, let's say I'm an, I'm an 18 year old first time to New York and it's survivor man and I get parachuted into Queens. Give me a survivor's guide to Queens. Survivor's guide to Queens. Um, eat at delis. We have the best delis. I also think that, uh, you know, Queens, I, I compare to, to uh, parts of Brooklyn a lot. Those are kind of the, I, to me, that's that's real New York, is Queens. Really? Queens and Brooklyn, yeah. Because usually and Brooklyn's Island. like the cool brother, and Queens is like the one you really don't know very well. Queens is, to me, Queens is where you want to live, you know? Like, if, you're, if you were an 18-year-old and you wound up in Queens, I'd say get on a train and go to the city, because that's where you're going to probably have more fun there. You're going to go to Manhattan. Um, but if you want to live there, if you want to like uh, live in New York City, uh, Queen, there's nothing better than Queens. So, what is the area now in Queens that that is you know? Because in Brooklyn, it's 
keeps changing, keeps going farther and farther out. It's mm-hmm. like the place you you know you can actually afford to live in. But in Queens now, where what is the area that that is the place to look at? Well, Astoria, a lot of people, Astoria, a, lot, a lot of people like a lot. But to me, that's even that's still too busy. Um, that's why I mean that's why I stay in Queens. I did the, you know, I, I did the 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 year, uh, I guess pilgrimage to Brooklyn. You know, and so, so, <laughs> you went because that's what you do. Yeah. You know, you're young and hip, and you know, and now you got a, you know, you got a couple of bucks, so you go, you know, you go, you have to go spend a year in Brooklyn or the city. Um, and I hated it. You know, it was just too busy and too loud, and for me, so I went back. I moved back like three blocks away from my mother's house. Really? Oh yeah, I'm not going anywhere. You know, I found I found my barber. You know, and I found my deli. I, I found my doctor. You know, and I don't want to have to find you. So stuff. that's how you survive in Queens. You get a doctor in Delhi and 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 a dentist. Well, I just and, yeah, and, I just yeah. found. I, to me, I found the best of of everything. You know, so I, why move? You know, um, the you, is that where you grew up? Mm-hmm. Was in Queens? Oh yeah. Um, and uh, the the story is that um, uh, you got your I, this. I'm getting com- I'm getting conflicting information that you got your first guitar at eleven or at eight. At uh, let me think, eight. It was eight. Yeah. And who gave it to you? Uh, my dad. Your dad. My dad. It. Yeah. Um, my family's very uh very musical. My grandfather was a pop star of sorts what? in uh in Argentina in yeah very cool and uh try and top that Gabe supporter right? yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, so he, he, you know, he's a multi-instrumentalist and a, and a songwriter, you know, and my mother was a singer, my father was a drummer, you know, so it's Who, very, who was your, who was your grandfather? What was, what was he? I, it's, it, he, he played bass for, for, oh. it's kind of, it was like an instrumental kind of jazz thing, but like in Argentina in like 1940, you know, like that's, that's pop, you know? Wow. Okay. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so it's a very musical family, you know, so it was kind of, they insisted that I got into music, and I wanted to, you know. Um, did they want you to play something else? Or did they want you to be a great pianist? No, something? they just wanted me to, to kind of, like, anything. I think when it comes to things like that, uh, you have to be interested, you know. You can't be forced into it, you know, because I know so many kids that took piano lessons and stuff at four and five years old that hated it, you know what I mean, and gave it up as soon as they were allowed to. Sure, sure. You know, so, I mean, I, I could have went that, r- that route if I was forced into something, you know, but instead they were kind of... You know, they knew I wanted to play guitar, you know, I was into Nirvana and uh, Weezer and stuff, you know, so. Did they uh, get you the lessons to go with it or were you just kind of... I took two lessons and I just couldn't, I couldn't hack it. Well, what, what about it? It was, there was homework involved. <laughs> <laughs> right? I yeah, just... so then I just figured it out, you know, I just kind of sat around and would just noodle and... So the the story that you I've heard you say is that about twelve or thirteen years old is when you started getting on the train and going into the city and going to CBGBs and down to Coney Island High and yep. stuff to see punk shows. Yeah, was that something your parents knew you were doing, or were that? Uh, I don't. You know, I had very lenient parents, and uh, they, yeah, I I never had a. I was the only one out of all my friends who didn't have a curfew, and uh, oh, they didn't. Have, yeah, yeah. I was, they were very they were very very lenient, you know, and. Um, your friends hated you, really. <laughs> I was lucky. Yeah, I was lucky. And I, it was funny. I was just talking to my mother about this a couple of weeks ago because she was talking about how loud I used to be in my room and blasting music and playing my guitar loud till all hours of the night and stuff. And I was like, well, that turned out, right? That was, that was a good sacrifice, I think, you know? 
it's the same thing, you know. I, I got into going to shows early, and I got into bands and what and was punk the music first early. punk show that you remember going to see? The very first punk show I saw Glassjaw and uh, Silent Majority in a uh, in a cafeteria in uh, <laughs> in school cafeteria in like probably ninety six. Ninety-five. That's one of those shows that everybody gets jealous that, of. Yeah, know? that was an early one, and uh, well, the first ones I can remember: Lag Lagwagon at Tramps, uh, Bad Religion at uh, at Coney Island High. Uh, those are some of the early ones that I can remember. What kind of you know? You, you, now you're on the other side of the fence, and so you know you're the guy on the stage, and you get off the stage, and you see the fans that are right there at the merch booth, or they're right there at the bus, or they're you know they're. That dedicated. What kind of a music show attendee were you? Um, oh, I was in and out. I was in and out. I, I never tried to talk to the bands. I never really. Yeah, yeah. I was just there for the. I was just there for the music. Did you get into the pit, or did you kind of were you a sideline guy that kind of crossed your arms and stood there? And... Um, yeah, I was a sideline guy. <laughs> well, because you know, because I was playing. I was already playing music at that point. You know what I mean? Like by the time I was like thirteen, you know, going to shows regularly. Um, I had already been playing guitar for like five years, you know what I mean, and writing songs. So, uh, so I was studying at that point, you know. So, what about it? Um, <clears throat> you know, when you're when you're that young and you and you start going to your first shows, that's when the inspirations and the you know start getting embedded into you. Um, what about the? Those shows that you went to, I think, uh, attracted you most to want to be up on that stage. It was like the community, you know what I mean. It was, it was a, um, it was something that was ours, you know, and it was like belonged to the bands and it belonged to the people in the audience. And you went to school the next day, you'd go and see, you know, say Bad Religion or whoever at at CB's on a Tuesday night. And then you'd wake up the next morning and go to school, and nobody at school knew that you did that last night. Nobody, they didn't even know what bad religion was. They didn't know what it felt like to be there, you know, to be a part of that, you know what I mean? And to be on the stage, you know, that's kind of being at the forefront of that community and that scene, and you're driving the, the community, you know what I mean? And I just wanted to be, I wanted to be there. I wanted to have, I wanted to give kids that feeling of, I'm a part of something that all these kids at school don't know anything about, you know? And I, I, sometimes I felt I, I felt almost bad for all those kids because I felt like I was so lucky to be a part of this and they were never going to know, you know? They were never going to know what it was like to be a part of something that was that important, you know? What kind of kid were you in school? Um, what was your crowd? Uh, I, guess, I guess kind of a, kind of a loner, you know? I wouldn't say, I didn't get picked on really because, you know, I had a pretty decent sized group of friends who are all still my friends to this day i've had all the same wow same group of friends since kindergarten and all still my best friends wow. a lot of them work for us now and print our merch like um so you know we had a pretty decent sized crowd probably about 10 of us or so you know it's too many to pick on uh, <laughs> too many <laughs> to pick good. yeah right, right. too many to pick on but um uh, you know, not enough to, you know, we were just into our own things and we were, we weren't going to be a part of what everybody else was doing either. What high school did you go to? Cardoza in Queens. How, how big was your graduating class? Uh, I didn't graduate. I, no? I left, yeah, I left school in the 10th grade, um, hmm. and started, started playing shows. You know, I was, when we did our first tour, I was supposed to still be in high school. I would have been a senior. Uh, but yeah, I left as a sophomore, but I would have graduated in, in 2000. 
uh, hmm. with about fifteen hundred kids. You, you didn't do the GED or anything like that. You just, I, yeah, I did. I oh, did. you did. Yeah, I did that before. I actually got my GED before I would have graduated. You know, I went and got that out of the way, and then just started focusing on did, the band. Which, did you? Was your mom pissed that you? No, no, no. She got it. She got it. She got it. Yeah, yeah. Because we started touring. Like I said, we started touring when I was like seventeen or eighteen. So she knew. You know, and I got the GED thing out of the way. So she knew I wasn't doing it because I was lazy. It was because, like, I had other things in mind, you know. Right, all right. So the feds, she didn't feel like, all right, well, the feds don't have them in their scopes. So. Right, right, right. I was I was always a pretty good kid, you know what I mean? I've always been pretty well behaved. How old were you when you did the bagel store? Oh, man. I started when I was, like, 14. I started going. I would skate. I would take my skateboard and ride down to the bagel store at, like, 5 a.m. <laughs> and uh, and work <laughs> until I had to go to school. Then I go to school and come back and work again. Wow. I love it. I, to this day, I love bagels more than anything. Uh, and I lo- I, sometimes I wish I could like just go work in a bagel store for a couple of days. Well, it was there's so your retirement fun. thing. You know? yeah. Some of these punk guys, they get like tattoo shops when they get older and yeah. diners. You're, you're getting was, a bagel it store. It was fun. And we were going on tour and stuff. And I would, you know, for years we had to get jobs in between tours when we got home. Like most bands, you know, like tons of bands still have to. And... Um, I would go back and work at bagel stores, you know, worked at like three different ones. And we'd like go to Europe on a tour and I'd like land. <laughs> I had just been touring Europe and now I'm like working at a bagel store at seven in the morning. You know, it's a trip. So if your fans are going to bring you bagels in the morning when you show up in town and you're groggy, what's the bagel? Everything, everything bagel with, with uh, low fat cream cheese. So it's, this, it's, it's changed to low fat cream cheese at, right. in, at, in my old days age. are gone, right? Yeah, 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 in my old age. <laughs> So there's no, you don't have a particular type of bagel that's your that's your favorite, like a poppy seed. I well, and everything, what, with everything. On oh, it. oh, with everything. Yeah, on and it. everything okay. bagel with with low fat cream cheese. Okay, okay. Uh, and so <laughs> I wonder ch- how many of those I'm going to get now. And I know <laughs> every day. You got, <laughs> I hope I hope your road crew like them. Uh, so so I take it the supermarket gig at Waldowns was the was the uh, horror oh, job. Oh man, I, that was the yeah that was the worst job I ever had. I had a lot of jobs. That was the worst job I ever had. I worked there for eight days, I think. And uh, and I left it. in a blaze of glory. <laughs> so, oh, this was was it like that that, that airline steward? Did you do that? Uh, I, I was too young, I think, to 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 be that aggressive. To burn the bridge that yeah, yeah. But I started. I, so I was a cashier, and I just stopped using the cash register. <laughs> like I knew I was about to quit, and I was just piling. I would just put piles of money. I was like, I would take money and just put it in a pile on top of the the counter, <laughs> and all the coupons, and I would just leave everything on the counter. So like the manager came over, and I just had like a pile of money on top of the cash register i didn't steal anything but that was, i guess that was my statement that was my my i'm over this yes. i just wanted everybody to know how over it i was when i quit <laughs> yeah, yeah i think you just described it as <clears throat> excuse me the old people would show up and be crabby during the day and treat you like dirt oh yeah man oh. <laughs> what other jobs did you do besides that I worked at Urban Outfitters. No way. For a little while. I did not know that. Yeah, which is fun because you have not seen pretty girls until you worked in, at Urban Outfitters. That's the trick. Oh, man. That's it was, trick. yeah. I would just be there all day, you know, <laughs> all day and just watch looking at pretty girls all day. Is the Urban Outfitters, is it that still there? Fun. Yeah, yeah. It's in the Roseville Field Mall. And uh, and th- th- what else? Anything else of, of note? Uh, you know, you know. Anything that was where I worked at like a photo finishing uh, place where I would like uh, develop, you know, like an hour, one hour photo kind of kind of thing. Oh, those are fun. Yeah, but they had that's fun because you guys are looking at everybody's pictures, <laughs> and that is so wild. It's real. What was wild. the craziest thing you ever saw? There was one where I guess somebody had like courtside. 
from what I can get from the pictures, they had courtside <laughs> seats at a Laker game for some reason. And it was just pictures of like like the back of Snoop Dogg's head and like the back of Ice Cube's head. You know, like all the people who were, who were sitting next to them or in front of them at the game. And then like tons of naked pictures and stuff. <laughs> tons of naked pictures. Yeah. Wasn't the rule that you're supposed to make dupes of those and then keep them and then put it, you know, get, like hand them out as Yeah, jokes. but my boss was like such a dick too and he would have been all over it. He would totally would have noticed. No fun. Absolutely no fun. So uh, reportedly... And and for the record, let's it's because uh, we got to correct the Wikipedia pages. Your first band was Saints of Thirty Fifth Street. No, that was just that was the last band I was in before, before Bayside. Bayside. Yeah. So what was your first? My band? first band was a band called the Flame and Moes. The Fl- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was my very first. Band. Very New York name. By yeah, the way. that was my right. very first band, and we played our first show at the Great Neck Public Library. <laughs> great, Perfect. Yeah. Which aisle? Great, great Neck and Great Neck is a is a is a pretty well to do neighborhood near ours. So if we played in like a rich town library, how punk is that? <laughs> <laughs> and we played yeah, with a band. Glass John a cafeteria, will admit. Yeah, right? well, we played with a band called Hog Fat, who uh, who Eben uh, D'Amico played bass in, who went on to uh, be in Saves a Day. Mm. Uh, I'm trying to think of who else played that. It was fun. It was good, and the. Uh, Band called Cake Museum played also, who later turned into Catch, uh, turned into the Strider, who mm. kind of you know went on to do things. Right, you you end up doing merch or something for them, didn't well, you? Yeah, I used to do merch for the Strider. Yeah, um, yeah, and we all used to just play. You know, we all grew up together, and this is when we were all like fourteen. You know, 13, do you have recordings 14. of any of that? Oh yeah, are we yeah. ever gonna hear it? I don't know. It's pretty bad. It's bad. It's real bad. <laughs> we wrote songs about like the woman who worked at McDonald's that used to kick us out every day. And... <laughs> you know, typical <laughs> punk stuff. That's a stuff. punk song. So, typical I'm sorry. punk shit. That's, that's yeah. good. That's actually really good. Um, wow. Um, so, all right. So, so Saints of Thirty Fifth Street. Yeah. Uh, you, let me see. You were seventeen, and the rest of the guys were over twenty-one. Yeah. And so you learned, like, you were kind of watching how they were. I mean, you were by then, by 17, you already been in the scene, so to speak, three or four years by that yeah, point. Yeah, yeah, more. Yeah, um, I, st- I listened to the Saints of 35th Street records all the time, still. Is it records or one? Because I thought you only had one. What was it? It's called... Uh, well, we did, a, we did a record. I played on a full length uh, with the band that is... Um, yeah, called Breath, Breath Away From My Last. Yeah, Breath yeah. Away From My Last. And then um, there was an EP also. Uh, and I oh, there was the, an EP? Yeah, and still now I listen... What was the EP? I don't think it had a name. Um, so and still to this day, I listen to it. I listen to that stuff all the time. It's really good. I actually st- I talk to those guys all the time. We talk about doing doing so- doing shows. You know, when I have free time, it's fun too because I only played guitar and that band. I didn't sing, so so the pressure was off. Well, yeah, which I love. What I kind love. of stuff hate- was it? Uh, it was. It, I guess I compared it, like to the Misfits, Ooh. kind of a more modern Misfits. You know, just very straightforward. Very fast, very punk, but like really melodic, really, really catchy and dark. So, um, looking around and doing research, uh, I think over time, um, the story has disappeared about exactly how Bayside came together. Mm. Um, because uh, it was you, uh, let me make this, let me, I gotta make sure I make it the right guys here. It was you, Mike, uh, Kozak, Chris Jackson. Mm-hmm. Um, and Vinny, uh, Dario, Dario, how do you spell this? Dario. Dario. Yeah, that would be, makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, with those, that was the original lineup? That's the original lineup, yep. And, uh, long story short EP that came out in 2001. Yep. Um, when in 2001 did that come out? 
I don't remember. I think I emailed that to you. I think you sent me a message. And Did I? I oh, I, that's I, right. That's I right. I digged it up for. I digged it up. That's I right. I, it's my my fault. I should look at my own. Uh, yeah, research. I dug. I dug it up. So, uh, so let's get a couple things straight about this. Um, the 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 story about the name was that you guys basically just came up with it passing the Bayside uh, uh, stop, yeah, going to New on, on the train station. Yeah, yeah. Well, we made, we recorded the first demo before long story short this is the first you know basement right. demo and we were going to a newfound glory show and we were going to give them the demo and they were going to get us a record deal and take us on tour and make us famous of course so <laughs> that was the plan uh so we didn't have a name yet though and we were like well we're going to give them this demo and how are they going to know how to get in touch with us you know so we uh we were driving to the show all in the same car and we passed the bayside train station we were like all right that's it just pointed at the sign, and we said, that's it. And we wrote Bayside <laughs> on the CD and gave it to them. And then you were stuck with it. And then that was it, yeah. And so it stayed It stayed Bayside, which is kind of, it's it's a blessing and a curse, you know what I mean? Because I'm like, besides Ron Jeremy, I'm like the most famous person to come out of Bayside. <laughs> so, right. Which is awesome, you know what I mean? I keep saying, I keep telling my friends that I'll know I make it when uh, I get, I want a parking spot at the, at the shopping center. When I get my own parking spot at the shopping center, I'll know I'll really make it. <laughs> <laughs> Um, that we have, they have like, po- they have Bayside posters up in Applebee's in Bayside. You know, they have like our concert posters really? hanging up on the walls. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm quite the celebrity around those parts. Do you get free food? I get free apps. Uh, <laughs> so it's, you know, it's a blessing and, and a curse, you know what I mean? Cause I, you know, I like to have kind of some anonymity when I'm at So how did the four home. of you guys meet up? I mean, we all we met friends? up on a message board. There was a Long Island. No, no, no. We we never even met each other. There was a Long Island message board for bands, and we were all in separate bands at the time. And uh, there was a thread going around about a Long Island tribute to Operation Ivy, and all four of us were trying to get our separate bands on. And uh, we all just decided, like, hey, why don't we just start a band? Why don't we start a band together? And then that's how. So we all met up, and our first practice was the first time we ever met. Really? Yeah. And well, and uh, so, so then, how did Dying Wish Records come into this? Was this like a friend of yours, or was this? No, I. You know, to this day, I don't really know. They they sent us uh, an email or something like that. They found us online, and did your peer volume pay? I mean, this, this is pre all, all that. that. Yeah, oh this yeah, this might have. There might have been mp 3com Oh the yeah, time, right, right. But it might even have been before that. There's certainly no MySpace, no Pure Volume, right. nothing like that. Wow. Um, <laughs> I, so I don't really remember. Maybe maybe it was a friend of a friend had passed it on or something. And they were like, hey, we're thinking about starting a, a label, and we want to like uh, release you guys, you know? So uh, they put out the Long Story Short EP, and then they put out a split with uh, with us and Name Taken. Right. Um, and uh, I actually just spoke to Jake, who, who put out the records a couple of days ago. Um, I think there was like some talk. Have those been any? Those haven't been reissued. Have no, they? no, no. We've talked about think, it a couple yeah, of times. Yeah, right. but yeah, we've brought it up a couple of times, and I think it probably will at some point. Um, How does the material stand up? You think? Oh, well, it doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> it stands up on on uh, three crutches. <laughs> um, but you know, there's a demand for it, so uh, you know, I'm all for giving giving fans what they. What they want, you know, even if it's not necessarily what's good for them. 
I'll, I'll give it to them if they want to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> I just actually, I just got it. Uh, there was a me- there's a comment or something on our Facebook page or something like that a couple of days ago that said that a copy of Long Story Short was on eBay for 150 bucks. Whoa, which is wild. So nuts. So we were thinking about releasing it ourselves and selling, charging 150 bucks for <laughs> for copy. <laughs> hey, if Trent Reznor can do it, you know, why not? Yeah, we'll probably. I think you know, there's been talks about doing like. Um, you know those two, the EP and the split on one on one disc. You know, remaster you know, be, them and everything. Yeah, remaster it and put it out on the same disc, like on nine. nine With a very thing. long apology in the liner notes. Yeah, like a big <laughs> disclaimer, a big disclaimer. This is not the cover. Will just be say this is not the new Bayside album. Yeah. <laughs> and watch what that would be the super hit. Yeah, what, right. Wouldn't it? Right. It's always the one that you're that you're like no, 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 no. Um. So, uh, your first, um. Did you guys, uh, before I talk, uh, Warp Tour in 2002, you did a two-week stretch on that, I believe. Yeah, 2002, yep. Yeah, um, but before then, had you guys toured, like, anywhere outside of your region at all? Or? Yeah, yeah, we had done, by 2002, we had, we were just going up and down the East Coast, like, over and over, you know, from between Boston and Florida and back, you know. And we had gone out to, like, we had come around here, we played some of our sh- first tour shows ever in columbus ohio actually and we actually had mm. a real a real base here because uh, there i say here because i know it's, it's ohio. all the same we're to all me. the same yeah, yeah we're, we're an incestuous state um so yeah columbus we used to play midgard comics comic store in columbus ohio <laughs> so and cool. we had uh we had a buddy who was the who was the uh the super of a building uh on high street right above flying pizza <laughs> uh, he was the super of that building, and there was empty apartments all the time. So we would go and stay in one of the empty apartments oh, for a couple sweet. of days at a time, and play at Bernie's. And um, yeah, so we had been we had been touring a pretty good amount by 2002. But that was our first. We I remember we started that run that Warp Tour run in 2002 in Seattle, and that was our first time on the West Coast. Hmm. Wow, starting all the way out there. Yeah, that was a trip. Oh, but you did the gorge. Drive. No, yep. they yeah, did the, the gorge. gorge yeah. Um, before I forget, I got to go back because I don't really see much elaboration on this at all. Um, your actual first time out on the road, correct me, correct me, correct me, was doing merch with Brand New and Strider. Uh, yeah, probably the Strider first. Strider yeah, first? Yeah, the, Stri- the first so time I ever went So how far did you go road. with that? Just kind of Northeast stuff. I think we, like, we would go to Connecticut and, uh, Massachusetts, New was that, that was before Bayside, right? Yeah, yeah, before and was, Bayside. And was it before this, the 35th Street? Uh, it was about the same time. About the same time. Yeah, so you about 17, 16 years old? on tour. So this is when you dropped out of school and then you went out exactly. on the road? Yep. yep. And I did uh, did some tours with the Strider and uh, that because they had just signed to, to Equal Vision, which mm-hmm. was really exciting. It was a really big deal for, for all of us in Long Island, you know, because this is pre, well, brand new, had I think just signed to Triple Crown and uh, Strider had just had taken back, had signed to Victory, uh, Glassjaw had signed to Roadrunner, you know, so this is when it was really just starting to happen in Long Island, you know. Uh, those were like kind of the first, first of the of the Long Island bands to. Was sign, was everybody in the woodwork deals. at that time? Like, you know, all of a sudden, you know, three of your friends in three different bands get signed to labels, and now everybody's going to start a band. Yes, yeah, it was. That's when the, the Seattle thing started happening in Long Island. You know, so. Well, I mean, the Long Island music scene has always been really great. You know, but you've always... I've read that you've associated yourself with a Queens music scene and not a Long Island scene. Well, I'm from Queen. I'm from Queens, but there was never really a scene in Queens. You know, there was me and my friends who had bands, but if you were going to play shows or go to shows, it was going to be in Long Island or okay. or in the city if you can if you could get it. But that, those were tougher gigs to get. So really, I mean, 
the scene as far as we know it, you know what I mean? When you think of the long, the the New York scene and the Taking Back Sundays and Brand News and whoever else you associate with it, that was that all happened in like Elks Lodges and catering halls and stuff in Long Island. That's really where it all started. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, so Brand New got signed and Strider got signed, and you know, so things started happening, and I started going out doing merch for those guys, and uh, you know, decided to start a bit. Just, you know, then we started this band and gave so, it a shot. So what were the rules of merch that you learned on those first? On those? those? Oh, there was none. No, <laughs> there was definitely none. Uh, were you back to putting the cash in the pile again? Was yeah, it? yeah, yeah, definitely from day one. I, I, def- <laughs> I remember brand new who are still kind of like that to this day. It was very much like whatever, just do whatever. It doesn't matter. Like no inventory, no like, you know, there was way before anybody started taking things that seriously. <laughs> Are you still tight with the guys in Brand New? Uh, you know, I see them, you know, uh, I go out to their shows when they're around, and they come out to our shows when we're around, and uh, Brian does. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, I guess, yeah, I guess so. What do you, they've got, uh, especially Jesse, and I'm definitely not trying to start drama, but um, they, they definitely have, um, they're kind of elusive. Yeah, yeah. From the public and the press, yeah, and especially that's... the press and everybody else. So, what what is it that people are misunderstanding about them? Is there something about them that there is? That is just how they are. They they play music because they like. You know, this is my opinion. Right? No, I know. You know I'm I don't, not I wouldn't to... want to speak right. for them. But in my opinion, just kind of what, for what I know of them personally, they are. That is not a. That's not a, a plan to okay. be mysterious or. To be elusive, you know what I mean? It's not an image, you know what I mean? Those guys just, I think they play music because they like to, you know? And all that other stuff that comes with being in a band, they just decided they don't need it, and they don't, you know, they Hmm. don't have to do it if they don't want to. And they were always like that. Yeah, yeah, those guys, I mean... You know, they ne- even when uh, again opinion, but even when they right. signed to Interscope, you know, you notice that there was never really a radio push, and there was never really right. a video push and stuff like that. You know what I mean? And those guys could have went for it, you know, and they just, right. you know, I mean, you were talking outside about right. what kind of goes into into a radio push, and there's a lot more than just mailing a record to a radio, you know. Right. And, um, and they just, you know, seems to me like they just didn't care enough to be a part of it. And you know, if you really look, if you look at Brand New's career, they don't need it. You know what I mean? They're one of the biggest bands. Right, right. Biggest bands in the scene. Which is yeah. great for them, which is awesome. So um, how did you land that Warped Tour, uh, that little stint in 2002? Um, I think Jake, who who uh, was running Dying Wish, just sent Kevin a, a CD and kind of, you know, Warped Tour at the time. Uh, and I guess, you know, Kevin still tries to help the smaller bands when he can, but it's become... You know, your hands get tied at this point, you know, which I'm sure you know with the magazine and right. stuff. Like, your hand, you know, there's things you have to do to... to to, you know, you can't just do whatever you want. You can't just take a band because you like them and put them on the cover of the magazine. You know what I mean? It's not, right. it's not how it works. Uh, and same thing with Warp Tour at this point. But at the time, it was a little. He had a little more leeway, I think, because it was like the year we did it. That that for the first time, it was Newfound Glory was on TRL and Good Charlotte was on the tour. You know, it was just so massive. It's like you could just take a handful. You could just take whoever else you wanted to be on the tour, and it was still going to be ten thousand kids came every day. <laughs> You know, so, you know, it was just like, you know, the old-fashioned way. You just sent a demo and told them we were, we've were we been touring for a while and we're working hard and we, we're looking for a break, you know, and he, he gave us two weeks on the tour. And you did it in a van with no trailer, six guys with the yep. merch in the van. Yep, merch and gear in the van, no trailer. <laughs> yeah, it was rough. It was rough. But, you know, I was like 19 then, I think, so, so I you... just didn't even notice. I didn't <laughs> notice how rough it was. And he, and you just had bracelets. You couldn't even 
get backstage or something like that. Yeah, that was what we, I remember us getting so angry because we just had like these bracelets that only got us onto our stage that we were playing. We couldn't go back to the catering or not that we were like welcome to eat it anyway, but like we couldn't even go near it. And I just remember being so angry all the time because the people would get press passes all the time. And that got you all access, you know? So, and you can just write in and, like, you could have, like, a, you know, there's no blogs then, but, like, you could have some little website or, like, write for the high school newspaper and come with a disposable camera and get a press pass and you had more access than we did, you know? I remember we were used to get so mad about that. Um, you, you've said um, a, a couple of years ago, I think it was, about being a full-time musician because by then you had quit your day job and you were, you know, you, the band was, was, well, no, actually you hadn't. You were still working at that time, weren't you? We, I was working in between tours and stuff, yeah. When did you stop? When did you actually quit your day job? Um, was it after you signed? To no way, years later. Really? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, because signing a record deal is not, that's not the goal. I mean, you don't realize that until you do it. You know, like you think, you know, the day you sign the record deal, you're on top of the mountain. You know what I mean? And you've you've arrived. You know what I mean? Right. But really, you that all you just got invited to the game. You know what I mean? You haven't you certainly haven't won it yet. You know, like before that, you're not you, you know, you're just trying to get into the game. You know what I mean? When did you quit your day job? Do you remember? Uh, when I stopped working completely. I think yeah. probably the last time I worked at all was probably like 2005. 2005. And what was the last job you had? Urban Outfitters. It was Urban Outfitters? Yeah. Uh, that's a way to go out. Yeah, definitely. Um, you've said at the time, uh, or a couple of years ago, you said about quitting your day job, and being a full time musician. Um, that after the decision was made, um, it has been a really hard lifestyle to maintain. Um, for fans, what don't they get? Uh, like, how, what? Explain to them how difficult it is to kind of like be a full time musician and be able to pay your bills. Because I think a lot of times fans think, like you were saying, like. Signed a label, you're done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I remember thinking, uh, you know, when I was younger, thinking bands that I was going to see uh, were 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 famous. You know what I mean? Going to small, you know, going to Coney Island High and CVs, and even like I'm going to see bands in like catering halls and stuff. And there was, you know, if there's 300 kids there or something, you know, like they were famous, you know, because I had their CD and I had their poster and like they're, you know, they must be making thousands. Yeah. They must be, they must be loaded, you know, living life, you know? And then, you know, now I really, you know, if you, if you're drawing 300 kids, you're not, you're not paying rent that way. You know what I mean? I see that now. Uh, so what don't, what don't people realize? I mean, you know, again, like, you know, when you sign a record deal, you're you're only just getting into the game. You certainly haven't won yet. And then even, uh, you know, there's so much more that goes into it, you know. And money is, it's part of our job is is money comes later, you know. And that's always the way you need to to think about it, you know. You always need to, you know, you're doing this now, you're doing this now. We'll do this for free. We'll do this for free. We'll go on tour and lose money. We'll go on tour and eat bean burritos from Taco Bell every day. <laughs> We'll go on tour and sleep on disgusting floors every day, and maybe one day I can I can pay rent. You know what I mean? Maybe one day I can get a car. Um. So I mean, and that you know that's you know maybe I I don't know I can't say what don't pe- what what don't kids notice because I don't know what they notice and what they don't. You know, I just know that when I did, I didn't really realize that. I just thought if you went on tour and you had a record deal and your record was in a store that I could buy it in, then you then you were doing pretty good. You know. Definitely not the case. Um, 
you've also said that, um, you know, the other side of going out on the road and being in a band that a lot of fans don't always necessarily realize is that the other thing you give up, and you've said that that uh, somebody asked you, like, well, what's what's been, like, the major thing you gave up being a, a full-time musician on the road touring and traveling all the world? And you said relationships. And you said not just with girls but with family and friends and then plus an education pursuing anything else that may be of interest to you. So, you know, do, is there, you know, is it, is it, it, it must be kind of hard at some point or another to, you go back home and you see your friends who aren't in bands who, you know. Well, life moves on. Okay. Yeah. Life moves on for everybody else, you know, in your life. Did life. you ever feel like you were behind? Um, not necessarily behind, but, uh, it's f- like the hardest question for anybody in a band to ask her ask to answer is uh, what's new or like or you know what's new or what are you up to mm-hmm. you know that's an impossible question to answer for somebody in a band because nothing is new my life is exactly the same as it was when I was eighteen you know what's new oh nothing I played a show yesterday I'm playing a show today playing a show tomorrow um I might be home at some point in the next six months you know. So like what's so nothing's ever new, you know. And for other people, it's like what's new. Well, I just graduated high school. Now I'm going to college. It's like now it's new. Oh, I just graduated college. I'm looking for a job now. I got now I got a job. Now I just got a promotion. You know, like got married. Yeah, I got married. I got a, I had a kid. My kid's know? 18 now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so there, you know, like so life is moving on around you. You know what I mean? And you're just kind of on this. Not to say that you're on a treadmill because there's progress. You know, it, as far as success, there's progress, but that's not. Success, career success isn't, isn't necessarily life success, you know what I mean? Just because you make more money doesn't, doesn't mean your life is, is progressing, you know what I mean? I'm no closer to having kids than I was 10 years ago, you know? But at the same time, you've experienced things that those friends that may have kids and so forth that, you know, it's the same kind of level. You've been places and experienced things and seen things. Yeah, that yeah, of course. They're never going to see. I wouldn't trade it. I mean, if, if, if I didn't think that the trade was worth it, then I wouldn't do it, you know? I mean, because at, at the same time, those people wish they they had my life, you know? Right, you're going to Europe and, and you know, a number of months, and you're going to travel all over the place. Yeah, to, yeah. You know, they, they'd have to save up for a couple of years to go to Europe. Yeah, yeah, we get to travel. We get to be in a new city, if not a new country every day. And, uh, you know, we make a really, we make a really nice living doing something that we love doing. Um, we got it made, you know, we have, we have the best job in the world. Um, let's talk about, uh, how did you, how did you end up getting signed? Like, where did that, was that? It's the old fashioned way to victory. We saw, we just sent in a demo. The old fashioned way. The old fashioned way. We sent in a demo and, uh, cause again, this is pre MySpace and pre pure volume right. and pre all that. So we just sent in, uh sent in a demo and it kind of the way those things work as at least at indie at least at indie labels the way those things work is um an intern will listen to just about everything that comes in and if they like it they'll move it up right to, you know to an actual staffer and then if they like it they'll move it up and eventually at victory you know tony 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 gets it and uh and if he likes it then then you get signed you know you kind of got to make it through you know it's like rounds i guess so did you ever what was the reason you were told why you stood out? Um, I think they thought that we um, we didn't sound we we didn't scream, you know. 
Uh, that's you. There you are. Yeah, we didn't. Uh, <laughs> so we didn't scream, and there was a lot of things happening at that time. That that was the scene. You know what I mean? It was kind of more more of a yelly, right? Kind of thing. And to the you know, and to the to this day, I think what a lot of people think think makes us stand out is um is like kind of making aggressive music and and singing over it. You know, which is kind of rare. And also to be like not being afraid to be technical, you know, to kind of be musicians. Okay, so we take two music breaks, and the first music break, I'd like you to um, let's educate. Okay. Um, so uh, this is your chance to turn on the new fan base um, to two bands that you grew up listening to that they got to know. They should go out and explore and find out about. And um, so give me two different bands. And one song by each that you think is the song that they should know um, okay. from from your days going out in the scene and exploring and finding out about the music uh, world that's out there. Okay. Um, hmm. Well, can we do? Um, can we do Silent Majority? Sure. So I, I would say Silent Majority. Uh, uh, across crowded rooms, the song. Um, are we gonna do like a? Am I gonna talk about it? Yeah, I mean, well, you, yeah. You just give me the songs and then tell me. Well, tell me why you want to play that one. Um, well, I think that Glassjaw. I mean, to, to me, the 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 chain of uh, influence goes. Sound Majority, I think, was doing something really original, and then they really influenced like Glassjaw and bands like that, and also bands like The Movie Life, who went on to mm -hmm. really influence bands like Four Year Strong and. Right, you know all the all the, just all you know what's really happening, what's really popular right now, you know. So I think that that all goes back to this one band that probably none of those bands have ever heard, and they wouldn't sound like they sound if it wasn't for for this band. Do you know what I mean? And they probably don't even know that. Hmm. Um, so that's an important, especially with the, the the very immediate climate of music with this time next year, and um, and you know, there's so many bands like that popping up, which I think is great, and I think that it's so awesome that bands like that are. Popping up, <clears throat> but you know, I think you know. I think it all goes back to goes back to bands like Silent Majority. And then, what would be the second band? Uh, I say Smoking Popes, probably. Really? I don't think that they're they're one of my biggest influences for sure. You know, and um, I don't think enough of our fans know who they are. You know, I mean, we you know we've been doing a cover of Megan for hmm. for years, and most people don't even know it's a cover. You know. They're, they're, I think their biggest song was uh, "See You Around" or something. Was yeah, it? yeah, see from like the was it like the Angus soundtrack or something? Yeah, that was kind of what broke them through, at least to the level that they did break through. You know, but um, see the to get ballsy, I think the the Smoking Pope's version of Megan, because so many of our fans don't know it's, a, it's even a cover. You know, I'd love for people to hear where not only where that song came from, but a, a huge part of why you know why we are what we are.
and it's done Take this finger, take this thumb Stretch them out to form a gun Point to the left side of my chest
The AP Podcast is sponsored by Epitaph Records. The home to Warp Tour breakout band Parkway Drive, whose new album, Deep Blue, is in stores everywhere. This Australian metalcore quintet's new songs impressed Epitaph head honcho Brett Kerr with so much, he even sang on Home is for the Heartless. The band's North American headlining tour with Set Your Goals begins on February 11th in San Diego. Tickets are on sale now. And punk legend Social Distortion, whose first album in seven years, Hard Times and Nursery Rhymes, is available now. The current leg of Social D's never-ending world tour will wrap February 20th in San Diego. After that, Mike Ness and the boys will head down under for Australia's Soundwave Festival. For more information on these and other Epitaph new releases, go to epitaph.com. So, um, <laughs> between um, that first release, uh, long story short, the, the EP, and then the first full length, mm-hmm. you pretty much had a whole new band. Oh, yeah. Well, we had a whole new band between... By the EP, the split by EP. The split, we had a whole yeah. new band. And then between the split and the and Sirens and Condolences, there was a new drummer and a, another guitar player. And then between Sirens and Condolences and... Because Jack came in on that. Jack and, came in right. for, for Sirens. And then in between Sirens and Self-Titled, then we had a new drummer and bass player. Right. So what was causing all this? Was it just like people didn't want to tour? Yeah, different reasons. You know, either some some of them personal, you know, and some, uh, yeah, I mean, not wanting to tour, not really kind of, kind of giving this lifestyle a shot and then finding out that it's, it's not really what you thought it's going to be, you know, that's kind of, I would say that's probably the main what, reason. What is, what, what, is there like a, a common, um, is there is there a commonality in the excuse about it's not what I thought it would be? Is it always the same one or two reasons? Um, I th- mm, uh, that takes a lot of uh, you have to be an you have to be honest with yourself to be able to say it's not what I thought it would be. You know, probably more initially, it's a more like this sucks. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> right. Right, okay. <laughs> all this all sucks. You know what I mean? It's too tiring. We're not making any money. It's it's this. It's that. I'll miss my girlfriend. You know what I mean. Uh, but then at the end of the day, what that boils down to is like, it's not what you thought it would be. So how did you survive? Because I, you know, like you, there's interviews with you where you're like, you know, I knew when I was young and I was gonna make this my career and I was gonna make it everything and blah blah blah. You mm-hmm. know, it's like you had the drive, the desire, and is that really what got you through the bad food and? The couches and sleeping in the van. Yeah, it was the dream. You know, it was, was, uh, I was having so much fun in those early days that uh, none of that even registered to be a pain in the ass. You know, like I I never thought for a second that it was, that it was difficult. How did, how did you meet Jack? Uh, Actually, we had met Jim, the, uh, the drummer on Sirens first through other bands and uh we asked him if he wanted to come and join the band and we were a three piece at that at that point um and he said you know do you want to add another guitar player i know this i know this guy that's that's really good so and jim and jack were both from boston um he said i know this guy that's really good should i bring him down to you know to come and 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 play we were like yeah sure bring him down um so yeah, so again, the the first practice with Jack was the first time I ever met him, and now he's like my best friend. He's been in the band for like six, seven years. As we're um, recording this in the middle of January, 
Uh, that record uh, is stated to have come out January 27th, 2004. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sirens and Condolences. So we're going about the seventh year anniversary of that record. Yeah. Um, looking back on that record, what's your feelings about it now? Um, it's funny you ask because we, uh, so we're on this little tour right now. And the reason we're on this tour is because we're playing our 10 year anniversary show in Long Island next weekend. Um, and we wanted to, you know, we figured there's no point in just playing one show. We might as well add a couple more. So that's why we're out right now in the first place. And we wanted to brush off some old stuff that we haven't played in a long time for that anniversary show. So we all dove back into that record and we started listening to it and like relearning the songs to be able to play them and stuff. And uh, I was just thinking like, man, it's so like the, it's, I sound like. I'm trying to be Sinatra and, and that stuff, you know, because like the croony thing, I've always had like kind of a croony singer kind of thing, you know, and uh, and it's still I think it's still a big part of our sound and the way I sing, you know, but I think I hadn't really at the time I hadn't really like totally sorted out like kind of where I was going to sit in between kind of crooning and being a rock singer, you know what I mean? So I listened to it and it really it, it kind of was kind of cracking. I sound like a lounge singer. <laughs> <laughs> that's, what st- that's what sticks out the most to me about it. Is there any song on there that you used to not like very much, but now that you kind of look at it with some more fondness? Because, you know, it's like no, you know, time no. and distance. Unfortunately, nope. okay. the opposite. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, there's songs okay, on there so that I thought was hate? great then. And now I'm like, oh, my God. Like, well, there's a song called, uh, oh, I hate to be the guy who do, who talks about how he doesn't like their old stuff, you know, because the fans have, the fans <laughs> Every love it, Every you single know? person that's been on this podcast show has said the same, they always hate the early stuff. Yeah, so, I don't, uh, I, you know, there's a lot of stuff on there that I love. There's a lot of songs on there that I think hold up totally, and there's still some of the best Bayside songs. But we were practicing, we were we were trying to play Kellum on, from that record uh, in practice last week, uh, and I was like, why did I, I was like, what kind of structure is this? What was I think? Where's the pre-chorus? Like, what was I, what was I thinking? Because we were trying to like learn it, and it's so hard to learn because normally you have these structures where it's intuitive and it's easy to learn. Like I filled in, um, I filled in uh, playing guitar for Newfound Glory uh, like last year for a couple of shows, okay. and I learned twenty-one Newfound Glory songs in three days because it's intuitive, you know. I, like you kind of know, you know, if you know the verse and you know the chorus, then then you, that's it. You know, you you can sort it out. And that's how our songs are now. Um, but I was, like, trying to figure out these, like, older songs. I'm like, what was I thinking? Like, why is there a pause there? You know? I, I actually, so we were in practice. I was like, what is, what's with all the pause? How are you supposed to play a rock st- song and pause every 30 seconds? <laughs> you just keep sucking the energy out. What was I thinking? <laughs> and uh, it's, if you go back even further, we were, like, working out... Advanced Letter Goodbye, which is the first Bayside song ever. It's on Long Story Short. And we we were planning on playing that at the anniversary show. We haven't played that in 10 years. And there's just so many parts. <laughs> I could, it took us forever to figure it out. Like, what was I thinking? Who was I trying to impress with all these parts? <laughs> it's like, you know, you have musical hieroglyphics and you can't even understand what you wrote. Oh, yeah, you know, yeah, like, yeah. You know, your handwriting. Yeah, like, what the exactly. Hell? What was I saying? Um... <clears throat> well, and, th- and that record you brought it, you, uh, Jay Robbins produced it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you recorded that down in College Park, Maryland. Um, and between that record and the self-titled record after that, which came out a year later, um, uh, what do you think is the biggest difference 
in your mind between those two records? I mean, kids can have it, or fans can have their versions, but what's right. your version? Uh, the main thing, well, we, we, so Jay did uh, the, the Sirens, mm-hmm. and um, Jay, you know, comes from bands like Jawbox and comes from a very indie, post-hardcore kind of underground world and very organic, you know, so the songs were the songs. It was a matter of performance, you know, and, and vibe with that. And then we did self-titled and Walking Wounded. We did with uh, Shep and Kenny, who were, mm-hmm. were a pop team. You know, they had done like, uh, oh, man, what, Mandy Moore and stuff like that, you know. And Shep, uh, Shep really was like my mentor in songwriting. He really taught me how to write songs. He taught me how to go from writing whatever comes to your head to writing with a purpose, you know, and writing f- tr- how to lure a listener in, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the the biggest difference is like I he, he really taught me structure and he taught me uh, he taught me a lot of tricks, you know, a lot of like how do you get a point across musically, you know. Um, what is a rule of thumb? Like, what's the easiest one you can remember right now? Um, I you know. Th- you you have to be careful with it, but repetition, you know, and that's something that you don't take into consideration when you're starting. You know, you just write whatever comes to mind, you know, and that's why, you know, our old stuff has, there's 13 different parts, you know, uh, but repetition, but you have to use repetition very smartly, you know, um, so that was, you know, that's that's one thing off the top of my head, and just how to how to make a part hit harder. You know, mm-hmm. if you want this part to be heavier than the other part, this is how you do it. You know, um, and you need to learn all that stuff. You know, you uh, you need to learn it. You need to practice it. Um, and I didn't know any of that stuff then. You know, now I know if I want this part to stick out, I know how to, how to do it. You know. So you feel the song structures were uh, were probably one of the more primary reasons differences between us yeah structure definitely structuring for sure you know and but structuring goes much deeper than where verse chorus verse chorus like structure as far as um mapping out instrumentation and structure of vocal melodies and stuff you know Mm -hmm. um that was also uh the self-titled was the only record that um uh john holloway was on uh, and, uh, you know, that the story has been told time and time again, mm-hmm. you've been asked about it repeatedly, uh, about, um, the, the van accident. Um, out of curiosity, uh, it, it keeps saying that Nick was seriously injured. Mm-hmm. Uh, does he have any permanent, um, dis- um, yeah, he broke, he broke, uh, his back. And, um, so he, you know, he's going to have a bad back for forever, you know? Um, but, uh. Is there certain things that he can't do? Or? Uh, I don't think so. He's no, all right. Yeah, he's, he's oh, all that's right. Great. Yeah. That's really lucky. You know, but we, he he gets uh, he goes to a chiropractor very often. He has to really doctor it. You know, he has to go. To, he goes to a chiropractor very often. He go, he gets massages when we're on tour. He gets massages like probably once or twice a week. Right. Um, that's great. Just because the you know playing a show is very obviously it's very active. You know, and ha- having to keep a bass strapped. Right. Strapped to your back is a lot of weight to hold, you know. So it's it's um, but you know he he does it, you know he does it, and he doesn't he he doesn't he doesn't think twice about having to put in extra work because of that. I was talking to uh, Aaron Stern, um, former drummer for Magic Romances and Drugs now, and he was talking about his dad's a chiropractor, and he's like his dad's like drummers, like you guys, yeah. all your all your backs are messed up. Yeah, it's like a lot of people think about that. 
Um, uh, just out of curiosity about that night, um, and I never have seen anybody, uh, I've never seen you talk about, uh, did you, usually if you've been through something like that, mm-hmm. something traumatic, were you sleeping? Because it was the middle of the night. So you yeah, were sleeping? Yeah, I was asleep. Yep. So is there any, <coughs> did you ever have any, um, uh, I don't know. I guess in a way, like post traumatic out of that. No, no, not no, at all. no. Like you no, didn't. I mean that that. Uh, I think you can take from experiences like that. You can you can take the negative or you can take the positive. You know, right. and you can use right. a lot of people. You could use that as a an excuse to kind of to get into other things and to go down a, a mental road that maybe you shouldn't go down, <clears throat> or you could take it and make it and it'll make you stronger. You know, and mm-hmm. from immediately we just decided like this is where we're going to take this this is going to make us stronger it's going to bring us closer together um it's going to make us stronger as people you know right um and uh and we're, you know we're very fortunate to have each other in it mm-hmm. and to to kind of be in it together you've described um <coughs> i've seen you say a couple times that you you thought you saw john as a big brother yeah um in what ways was he actually older than you yeah, yeah, uh, substantially. Because Jack, I'm 28, uh, and Jack is, I think, five years older than me, and uh, Beats was older than that. So he he was about probably six years older than me, six or seven years older than me. Mm-hmm. So pretty substantially, you know. When he was in the band, I was like 23. So to be 23 and how you know to be spending that kind of time with like uh, a 30 year old. Who was a you know very stand up person? He was married at the time. I'm you know I'm 23, a little shithead in a, in a punk band, <laughs> and he, you know he's a very he owned a house and you know he was married and he was a very stand up man, you know. Mm. Um, and he that was a very positive influence on me. Do you uh, you know, it's people that go through um, uh. You see, you see this sometimes on uh, Discovery Channel, some of that where people go through like near death experiences and things like that, and they come out of it and they they just see life differently. Mm-hmm. And you kind of said like, you know, we're gonna we're gonna take charge of of how we're gonna deal with this, and we're gonna think positively and you mm-hmm. know make a positive impact on this. Um, is there did it did uh, that experience change your view on life about you know anything like that where it's like you know you got to live every day to the fullest, you never know and. Um. More in the you never know, you know what I mean, and I think it right because it's easy, especially when you when you're young and you have a career, and it's it's easy to get very focused on it, and everything matters, you know. I'm like I'm sure it's something that you can understand, and you know you get right. this is your life, you know what I mean. Every every single phone call is important, and every every show, every every everything, and then you start realizing like, man, this is like life is bigger. Life is bigger than your career. Life is bigger than. Than these these fans, it's bigger than than all this. You know what I mean, everybody. Mm-hmm. So maybe I guess to to live life a little more laid back. You know, I think that was probably probably the more the the biggest lesson. So how did how, when did you? Uh, it says that you recorded uh, "Walking Wounded" in um, the fall of two thousand and six. So um, and you did that. Uh, let me see here again. That was with with Shep and Kenny again. Mm-hmm. Where was that? Rec- was where was that recorded? Was that at their place? No, we recorded it in uh, in Queens, actually. Queens, yeah, a couple blocks from my house. <laughs> so easy. Yeah. Uh, were there a lot of like late nights? Or you just going back to your place? Or everybody talking and hanging out? And yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a really organic uh, process. So let's continue this process now. What do you think the biggest difference between Walking Wounded and the self titled is? 
um, again, just learning more about writing songs and and kind of uh, taking another step into. With Walking Wounded, we try. It was our first try with like adding a lot of extra instrumentation, you know, um, and taking a lot more risks. Because at that point, we started gaining uh, some some success, you know. We started the the, the kind of cult fan base thing started really happening. A lot more people were coming to the shows and stuff. So I think we, uh, with every record, we got a little more confident that we have this. We're lucky enough to have this really. Excellent cult following that's going to come with us where wherever we go mm-hmm. musically, you know, they're going to give us a shot to like listen to every record with open ears, you know, because they trust us. Mm-hmm. Um, so that you know, Walking Wounded, I think, was a big step in kind of experimentation and like confidence on like you know we can try, we can put an accordion in this, and if it's awesome, then people are gonna people are gonna allow it to be awesome, you know. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, I think like confidence, you know, and uh, you know, I I can't stress enough just being a student of songwriting and always trying to get better and always thinking harder about it and spending more time at, at it. And so the one after that was Shudder, which was your last record for Victory. Mm-hmm. Um, that was done out in L.A. Yep. Uh, where was that done? What was the studio? Uh, at the Red Bull Studio. Red Bull Studio. Yeah. And um, you switched producers. Mm-hmm. Whatever David Schiffman. Uh, why did you go to him? Um, we wanted to, uh, go with somebody who was going to be more Sonic, um, focused, you know, and not as much get into the songs the way Shep and Kenny did, you know, cause, which, I mean, not that there was anything wrong with that, but that was kind of an experiment, you know, and we wanted to see, cause Dave, uh, Dave was more, was an engineer first, you know, and kind of was just starting to break into producing. So he had engineered. Some Jimmy World stuff and some like uh, Queens of the Stone Age stuff and Red Hot Chili Pepper stuff. So he was kind of sound first, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and also that was like kind of a shotgun record, you know. We we wrote it in like three weeks. We recorded it in like three and a half weeks. Um, and we wanted it to be kind of a very simple, simple record, you know. We did that was a, a less, a lot less experimental than Walking Wounded, you know. Um. Taking out the first, or taking out the EP, is are there any of your full lengths that um, you would kind of you think um, you would consider your weak record? Um, I don't think so. I think that every record has its purpose. Okay, you know, I think that they're 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 all they're all different. You know, and at the end of the day, I realize that my opinion doesn't even matter. You know, it's really it's it's a matter of what the uh, what what the fans think. You know, mm-hmm. um, obviously, I'm gonna I'm gonna do what I think is right. I'm gonna write songs that I like, and we're gonna make the records that that we want to make. You know what I mean? But mm-hmm. is it good or bad? That's not for us to say. Yeah. Hmm. Um, that came out in 2008. Um, you know, the, you you've had the the solidified lineup for Walking Wounded and Shudder mm-hmm. um, after the accident. Um, you also put out uh, the Ballad of Bill the Saint, mm-hmm. which was a solo yeah. thing that you did. Was that the only one you recorded? You put out? Yeah, yeah. I uh, you know I've been doing a, a solo thing for for a couple of years now, and I really just do it for fun. And I kinda... you never put out a record. Nope. No, kinda, Why not? Oh well, I just I do it in my free time. You know, okay. like Bayside is is obviously the priority, and we stay pretty busy, so it's hard to find time. Because when you put out a record, you're really stepping into a new thing. You know, it's different. The, when I go on solo tours and stuff, the way I see it is like I'm just an entertainer. I'm like a bar band. You know what I mean? And just people and just, people just happen to come. 
You know, that's the only difference between me and the guy playing at the bar down the block. Um, is that like, you know, my name is kind of, it will bring some people, some more people out. Um, and, you know, I get to play whatever I want. I play a lot of covers. I play, if I write a song, I'll play it. I can play Bayside songs. Um, I can play wherever I want, whenever I want. There's, you know, there's no rules. Um, so it's really, it's like vacation for me. It's just a lot of fun, you know. And when you make a record, you're kind of, then you have to tour on it. And you have to play place X, place Y, place Z. You have to play X songs X, Y, and Z. You have, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It kind of goes into a new a new world that I'm not really ready for it to go into yet. You know? <laughs> right. Because, you know, like I said, I just, I, the, the appeal of it for me is that I get to do whatever I want. You know, and then once you kind of go into that world of releasing a record and having a label involved in it and stuff, it changes. Do you think that it allowed you an outlet that was needed? Because, uh, like, has it helped you having this kind of side area to at least let it out and, and to do different things and loosen up a little bit and do whatever you want? Has it allowed you to uh, create for Bayside um I don't know, more productively or easier? Like, you know what no, I mean? No, I don't think it's something Sometimes that I need. Sometimes it's all bottled up into the same thing. You yeah, get I don't think it's something I need, really, because okay. like, you know, okay. like, cause I could write those songs and just enjoy them myself anyway. You know okay. what I mean? Because like I said, I don't even care how many people come to the shows when it comes to those things, you know? Mm-hmm. It's not about success, really, you know? Um, so it's not something I need, but it's, de- it's definitely fun. It's something I enjoy, you know? It's, it's, a, it's like... Uh, Obviously, Bayside is not my hobby anymore. You know, it's it's my life. It's my job. Um, and that's my hobby. I get to be in a band as I kind of, I get off of work and I get to go play. You know? You said, uh, you said vacation. You said, that's my vacation. And I've heard you describe, uh, where's the band that way? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And you've done two of those? Three. Three of those now. So it's you, Dustin Kensrew, Chris Conley, and Matt Pryor. Yep. And, um, uh, you know, and and it's kind of like a little... In a way, a Rat Pack of, mm-hmm. of lead singers yep. of these variety of bands from different types of uh, uh, songs. In a way, to different and in some cases, different periods. Uh, and uh, and you guys, you get in a van and you just travel around. And you have fun. You talk about music. Talk about you know uh, stuff you like, you don't yep. like, so forth. How does it not end up becoming the Curmudgeon tour? Where everybody's sitting around going, this stuff sucks now, and blah blah blah. It was better uh, back in the day. The, and- four, the reason the four of us get along, so we're like this. We're all so similar, you know, in in our outlook on the world, you know, and um, we all really like new music. You know, we're we're four of the guys who really appreciate uh, advancing in in music. You know, and uh, one of the biggest things we do when we're all in the van together is play play new things that we've all kind of picked up or found since the last time we saw each other and play it for each other and talk about it and stuff. Because mm-hmm. um, the four of us, besides being lead singers, we're, we're four songwriters, you know, so mm-hmm. we can listen to things and talk about it as far as songs. And songs don't have an age, you know, like a good song is a good song. We listen to, actually, we listen to like a ton of pop music when we're in the van, you know, because that's really, that's where... It's where some really great songwriting takes place. So we listen to a lot of pop music and talk about it and talk about how we, we're applying these new kind of things. And we talk about our, the songs that we're working on ourselves and help each other and give each other opinions on new stuff. Um, it's fun. It really is. We're like the emo rat pack, you know. It's, <laughs> it is a lot of fun. Because, I mean, we all do our sets and then we all get on stage together at the end and we start 
telling jokes and playing off each other and uh you know we tell a lot of stories kind of how much of it was like variety group, show how much of it has become after three tours especially how much has it become like group therapy where now you're like wow i'm not alone in that I, somebody else oh, went yeah. through that same thing mm-hmm. that i went through oh yeah of it's very much like that like career-wise especially you know to, to be able to talk to guys to talk to matt and talk, and chris and even dustin who have gone through so many of the things that we're going through now um so what have you learned? Like, what have you taken away from those times, those conversations that you maybe can relax about now? Maybe you don't feel so isolated. Uh, you, you know, I think that like that you, you, you know. have no control over anything. You know what I mean? Like, just keep writing songs. You got to just keep writing songs and keep playing shows and keep doing what you do. And if if the radio picks up on it or if the kids pick up on it more or if whatever happens, like, it's just, it's just going to happen. It's not going to have anything to do with whether you're stressed about it or not, you know? Um, I think that's, you know, that's the main thing I can get from like kind of that older guard from, from those guys, you know, um, you know, for me to be a part of that, it's just, it, it's unbelievable, you know, cause I just grew up going to those guys, see those guys all play, you know? I also think it's kind of fun that, um, to a certain extent you kind of have an all time low blink one eighty two thing going on with newfound glory because those guys were so all time low were such huge fans of like mm-hmm. one eighty two. They were just and now they're like personal friends with them. Yeah. And there you guys were running off to go see Newfound Glory and try yeah. to get them and now you're really tight with those oh, guys. Oh yeah, yeah. They're like my best friends. Yeah. Um yeah, definitely. It's kinda of, you know, it was surreal, I think, for a minute, you know, but now I don't you know I guess I forget. You know, I'm jaded. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I'm jaded. I'm just, I'm sure you are. You know, you meet so, you know, you start, you know, every band that you grow up listening to at this point is like a phone call away, you know. Mm. Um, uh, but, you know, when I look back on it, it's, it's weird, you know, to think that I, we got our band name because we were going to go give our demo to Newfound Glory, you know what I mean? And now, like, they, I'm the one they call if Chad is sick and they need somebody to play guitar, you know? Or, like, when I'm on the West Coast, I go and spend the night at Steve's house, you know, and with his family and his kids, you know? Um, and he comes when he's, on, when he's in New York. He stays over my house, you know? Just so that we could hang out. Um, like, yeah, we, yeah, like, we vacation at each other's houses. Music fans' dream come true. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of those situations. I think where uh, like a, a, a wild mix of guys and bands wind up somewhere that a lot of people would have would like to be in. It's kind of funny. Um, so you with this latest record with Killing Time, um, there was a quote I read where you said because uh, you were sh- label shopping. And uh, your quote was, after a few awkward meetings with other labels, mm-hmm. signed to wind up. <coughs> what were those awkward meetings with other labels? Well, we met with, I guess, mainly majors. You know, right. we met with a couple of majors that had really weird outlooks on things and that were very alien to us. Um, our thing when we, were, when we were shopping around is that we, we want to be a bigger band, you know, and mm-hmm. we welcome that. Uh, and we we wouldn't mind being on the radio. We wouldn't mind all you know all that. But we are so proud of what we've accomplished, and we're so happy with where we are that if it if we just stayed here forever, we'd be totally satisfied with that. So we wanted to make sure we were on a label where it wasn't going to like make or break us. And the thing with the majors was very much like you know we you you t- you got to make you know you make the single and then you go and then you go and you push the single to radio and you push it to all these things and if it doesn't work then like then what 
and we just did, we weren't going to like allow ourselves to be in that position. You know, we wanted to make sure that we were with a label that was going to, ha- you know, go- going to go that route and, and have the ability to do all that stuff, but was still going to know what to do with us if, if that stuff didn't pan out, you know? Did you, did you, have you seen friends of yours and other bands get kind of caught up in that machine oh, yeah. and get yeah, yeah. spit it happens, out? It happens every day. Totally. Um, I had so many conversations with, uh, not that it happened to any of these bands, but um, I remember when we were shopping around and talking to all these different people, I mean, I called, um, because, you know, we were obviously looking looking to all the majors, and that was kind of our, you know, we wanted to go with a bigger label, so I was calling all of my friends who had gone through that, who had either, were either still on major labels and had successful relationships, or some that had unsuccessful, you know, had been on a major and then weren't anymore, and had uh, un- unhappy times with majors, you know, so obviously Newfound Glory, you know, I would right. call oh, ev- sure. after I got off every phone call, you know, I'd call call Steve or Chad and see what they thought about it. Uh, uh, Chris Caraba, I called a whole bunch and, and um, you know, he was he was being really helpful. Um, hmm. uh, who else? Uh, you know, just just buddies who had, you know, kind of gone through gone through that game, you know. Conley went through that too. Yeah, yeah, Conley had a lot to say about it. Um, <laughs> Uh, Dustin, you know, right. like just all, you know, all my friends that had been, been through majors, you know, and just kind of wanted to see what everybody, what everybody thought about it. And, uh, and that was all, that was all extremely helpful, you know? So, so, you know, the, the $40 million question these days that all artists ask at South by Southwest and all this other stuff like that is, uh, do I, do I try and sign to a major? So if you were a if you were a band manager right now, yeah. what would you say? It depends. I mean, it really depends on what you're looking for, you know. And the thing with a major is like, let me. I remember me and you were talking outside about this. Um, when I was 21, I would have loved if you know some major label called us and wanted to, us to be on the radio or something like that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. If it worked and it worked, I, of course I would have loved that. Um, but now, in hindsight, I'm so happy. It, like we really lucked out that it took us ten years of playing smaller shows and those shows getting bigger and those shows getting bigger and making all the fans organically uh, to where like if the you know we're you know for all intensive purposes we're on a major you know it's not you know right. it's an indie in the sense that it's not publicly traded and then there's somebody owns it and you know in in the business sense but you know I mean you know we're label mates with Creed and Evanescence and Seether and you know. So for all intents and purposes, we're on a major. Hawthorne Heights and Cartel still? Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, you know, I'm, I, we got very lucky that we were forced to do it this way and mm-hmm. to not, not to go to this level too soon, you know, because we feel ready for it, Okay, for one. We feel mentally ready for it. And um, we feel that if it doesn't pan out you know, on that larger scale that – we have a fan base and we have a career to fall back on, you know? And if you go major first and then you kind of, it doesn't work, you're going to get left out in the dust, $500,000 in debt. You know what I mean? Right. Um, so it's hard. It just depends on what you want. If you're, if you're, if it's make or break, you know what I mean? And you want to be, it's, it's radio and, and pop stardom or bust. Like, yeah, of course you gotta be on a major label. You know, but if you just want to play music and maybe one day get paid for it, then no, definitely not. 
you stated that the president of the label's son was the one that noticed you weren't on a label. Yeah, yeah. The president of the label's son was a uh, was a big fan, and uh, you know, it started making the rounds online that we had finished our victory contract and we were free agents and looking for something. And he, t- you know, the way they told me the story is that he, you know, he went to his dad and said, hey, you know, you should check out Bayside. You know, you, you have to do for Bayside what you do with all your other bands. Um, Which was? Well, just, you know, basically what, what a label does. You know, oh, like, okay. Um, I, I wasn't sure. Yeah, well, because, uh, you know, I think our we hear a lot that, uh, <clears throat> our you know, our, I think our fans, unlike a lot of other bands' fans, who want to keep them for themselves and don't want them to go mainstream or whatever, you know, right. our, our, our fans are, are, you know, I think they want the best for us, you know, and they want, they want everybody to know what this, about this thing that they know about, you know, <clears throat> cause they're proud of it, you know? Um, so, you know, he was a fan with the same mentality. He was like, you know, you have to do it for them what you do, you know, what you do for Creed and whoever else, you know? Um, yeah. As you said, this record was uh, approached differently. I mean, uh, it, correct me again if if I'm wrong. Um, it's been said that you spent about nine, eight, nine months writing this one. Yeah, yeah. Whereas this, all the other ones prior to this, you kind of raced in between tours. And, yeah, this was completely different, the making of this record, than anything we've ever done before. And it was amazing. It was an amazing process. And I really think that it's <laughs> it's the reason that the record sounds the way it sounds. We got to spend so much time writing and rewriting, and then we demo and listen to those demos for a while and decide, oh, well, I could make this better. I could write this chorus better <clears throat> and start from scratch even, you know, and throw songs out and start over. Um, <clears throat> and that was so important, you know. And then the making of the record, we got to record for as long as we wanted to record and got to record in the studios we wanted to use and use, like, our dream producer. We got to use the producer we wanted. I mean, this Gil is really... <clears throat> Yeah, yeah. So this was—I mean, really, this was like if you had, if you if you could if you could make the perfect record, how would you do it? You know, and this was this was the answer for us. You know, Norton's—he's worked. He's—he's uh, he's an Englishman, and he's worked with Foo Fighters and the Pixies and Dashboard and Jimmy Eat World and so forth. And he's—he's uh, he's a producer of note. Um, yeah, he's got uh, got a Grammy. Yeah, he's got a Grammy. He's got a Grammy. Yeah, minor thing. Um, so. You know, you were kind of saying before about the things that you learned mm-hmm. with with your previous producers. Um, what did you learn on this one? Um, you know, so much of uh, so much of the music industry in general is, comes from experience. You know, and the the, the more experienced producers or managers um, or label guys, like they know the most because it's the only way to learn. There's no class in any of this. There's no there's no class for a producer. You know, so he would be able to kind of. Uh, he would have these anecdotes or kind of advice that came from, you know, when I was working on the Counting Crows record. It really helped Adam do his vocals if when he tried this or when he tried this. You know what I mean? So, like, you know, you take an advice like that. You know, like, well, if it was good enough for good enough for him, I guess I could try that, you know? <laughs> do you, it's, I'm just curious. Do you have a warm-up routine? Yeah. yeah. What is it? Uh, I, I just... <clears throat> I drink water all day. I drink... Coffee pretty much nonstop until around three o'clock in the afternoon, three or okay. four o'clock in the afternoon, and then uh, I drink water nonstop. I drink probably about a gallon of water every day, um, and uh, I have like you know a vocal warm up that I that I do before we go on. 
That's not too crazy. I hear some people have, that have really have really wild vocal vocal warm ups, you know. And vocal when it comes to singing, you know, different things work for different people, you know. Um, I mean, for instance, I mean, I smoke. You know what I mean. And some people, if they were to smoke a cigarette and then try to sing, they'd be they'd be screwed. You know. Some people don't drink. Don't I know Haley doesn't uh, doesn't drink dairy. Like you know, doesn't eat or drink dairy all day, and she does like a uh, a video chat warm up thing with her vocal coach, like from tour before the shows. You know, um, you know some 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 people do things like that, and then some people don't warm up at all. Some people wake up and drink a cup of coffee and smoke a cigarette and then walk on stage. You know. <laughs> Uh, so I'm somewhere in the middle, I think. You know, I have like a, a short, probably a 15 minute warm up routine, and that's mainly just so I don't blow my voice out. You know, just out of curiosity, after all these years, all these tours, um, how, how many shows have you done? I mean, I found an article online that said, "Oh, we just passed our 1,000th show." Or oh, that something. was a long, yeah, yeah. years ago. We played so how many our shows? 1, do you think? Show. Uh, but somewhere between 1,500 and 2,000, probably closer to 2,000 at this point. So, have you noticed how your voice has changed besides growing up more? Have yeah. you just noticed how your voice has changed over the years? It's gotten stronger, you know. Really? But vo- I, I never took any vocal lessons or anything like that, so I really learned how to sing through trial and error. And every day, just thinking like, oh, well, that hurt last night, so maybe I'll, I'll try this <laughs> th- th- tonight, you know. Um, but singing is so mental, and people don't really realize that, you know, like... The shape of your mouth, the shape of your throat, the sh- like how much air you use for each syllable, for each note, if you're, you know. Um, and that all has to be, that's muscle memory, you know, and you have to really kind of think about it, if the physicality of singing while you're singing, you know, and that just comes from experience. It comes from finding out what works and what doesn't work. Let's do our second music break. Um, okay. Tell me, uh, we're going to pick Bayside songs. Okay. Uh, tell me out of your whole catalog... Uh, tell me the song that you have found to be most misinterpreted by fans. Misinterpreted. I don't know. I don't. Th- I, I think that they're probably they're pretty pretty much on the mark for the most part as far as interpretation. I don't write. I'm not very abstract in my lyrics. You know what I mean. I'm pretty, I usually get my point across. Um. Most misinterpreted. I don't know. I can't answer that. Okay, well, then we'll get rid of that one. Um, how about uh, the song that you personally like, uh, that you're proud of, but for some reason never really became a huge fan favorite? <laughs> yeah, there's tons of those. <laughs> <laughs> Nailed it. Okay. Um, yeah, there's tons of those. Um, the uh, Off Sirens and Condolences, um, definitely... Uh, Talking of Michelangelo is one that we within the band like a lot, and um, we have tried to play like a couple of times out, and uh, nobody ever knows what it is. Nobody ever recognizes it. Nobody ever sings along. Nobody ever cares. <laughs> so we, you know, we never play that one anymore. Um, well, that would be the no- that's the first thing that comes. Well, if you that's were to ask one. anybody in the band, like, what is it? You know, if you were to ask anybody that question, they, they wouldn't even have to think to say "Talking to Michelangelo." Okay, because that's probably number one amongst the band, the number one favorite song, and probably the you know the last of <laughs> with fans. Um, and then tell me the song that changed the most from its original version when you walked into the studio mm-hmm. to do to what actually ended up on record. Uh, sick, sick, sick. The new, uh, the first single from uh, from Killing Time. 
the the chorus that you hear on the record is the seventh chorus uh, that we wrote for that song. So we had we wrote it and then we rewrote it and rewrote it and rewrote it and rewrote it. So there there's versions of that song with seven di- completely different choruses, different lyrics, different chords, different melody. There's an EP. Oh yeah, there could be an EP of of versions of that song. <laughs> yeah, that sh- that that definitely that changed a lot. And I think mainly because coming in it was so it was so strong, I think, and it, it, you know, as soon as we started that, I think we everybody including us, the producer, the label, everybody knew that we were going we should pay some extra attention to that one, make sure that one was perfect. <laughs> It was made up. 
your blog, uh, mm-hmm. your Tumblr, yeah, um, has uh, been quite the notorious thing on and off over the past three or four years. Yeah, um, because of your comments and your opinions on things, mm-hmm. and um, I, I just have to read this because I think it's uh, this was. Uh, is it an exceptional last, one? It's I, I like it. Um, I think it's <laughs> apropos because I just tweeted yesterday that uh, uh, Forbes uh, was trying to figure out how much Lady Gaga had probably made in 2010. Yeah, and they figured it was it was at least a hundred million dollars. Yeah, yeah, that's likely. Um, so you wrote a uh, you have a picture of Lady Gaga here, uh, and you wrote you may you might be Lady Gaga if <clears throat> you look like an idiot. You're, you know what? You should just read this because it's actually better in your tone. So okay. you read it. Oh man, she doesn't. Okay, so this is a little. I'm da- uh, I'm dating this now because she doesn't do all these things anymore. You you look. You might be Lady Gaga if you look like an idiot. You're outside in your underwear. You're a poor excuse for a singer. You're a poor excuse for a dancer. <laughs> oh my god, I can't believe I said this. You're a trust fund kid from Yonkers trying to play it off like you're rolling with Andy Warhol. Oh, that's <laughs> clever, man. That was good. <laughs> that was good. And, uh, oh, and you, again, if you look like an idiot. If any of these things sound like you, then you might be Lady Gaga. <laughs> you know, I, you, if you ever do slam poetry some night. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I have a... I have opinions like anyone else, you know, but I just happen to be a writer, you know, so I, I, I have a way of, of uh, c- creating a reaction with my opinion, you know, I know how to, I know how to write things and, and get people to react to them, you know, and I still have opinions, I come up with clever shit every day, I yeah. just choose not to say it because I don't really want the, I don't really want the attention. You said two years ago on September 11th, 2009, you said you were going to shut your blog down because it was getting you into trouble too much and it was taking your attention away from... Yeah, I just, I don't want the attention. Really. I don't like attention as it is, if you can believe that, as like the front man of a band. I don't, I don't like attention at all. I've caught in it that you are actually, despite your, you know, your opinions on things and stuff like that, you're actually, as a person, pretty private. Yeah, yeah, I'm private and I'm, I'm, I'm usually pretty quiet and I'm, I'm actually pretty shy. Uh, I just I, I don't I don't really like attention, you know what I mean? And that was giving me the blog was giving me a lot of personal attention, which I don't like. You know what I mean? I like the band to have attention. You know, the blog was really a way for me to kind of just have fun. You know, it's just a way of like I like to write. I like you know I, I have a lot of kind of funny jokes that come up about things. Um, and I still you know I come up with them every day. I had a good one yesterday that I, that I probably won't say. <laughs> <laughs> now you now you teased us. Oh, I can't. I came up with a new genre. Uh, <laughs> then I'm, I'm the, waiting. See, it's, it's been so long since I since I openly talked shit about bands <laughs> that I don't know if I want to reopen that door. I won't say what bands are involved no, in the genre, no. but but I coined statutory rape core yesterday, <laughs> and uh, you know you could probably figure out who's who's a part of that. Um, I don't. Yeah, I just. I don't. I don't. I don't want that kind of. I don't want that kind of personal attention. I definitely don't want that kind of negative attention. So. Yeah, you you stated at that time. You said everyone can go read between all the lines with their opinions on how I can't have opinions. Yeah, yeah, and that's you know, and it's it's ridiculous for me to even try to make that argument. You know what I mean? Because you can't you can't argue with the internet. It's too powerful. You know. Um. Uh, 
Yeah, you wrote, uh, sorry if all I ever do is complain and write cynical shit about things that everyone else is enjoying. At least I find funny pictures to go with everything. (laughs) (laughs) Well, because that's the thing. See, I don't (laughs) sign up for irony. I don't think irony is that funny. And, like, so much of, like, our culture at this point is based around irony. You know what I mean? It's, like, how can you, you can't tell me that you, like... That you you like like this punk band that you're like into this into punk and emo and and hardcore, but you like Justin Bieber too. You know what I mean? Like because like people do it because it's ironic. You know that's why people like Justin Bieber and that's why people like Lady Gaga because it's like because it's, it's ironic that oh you have tattoos and you're this and that, but you like Justin Bieber too. It's hilarious. I don't sign up for that shit. You know what I mean? Like you don't actually like Justin Bieber. You know. And if you do, then you don't actually like that other shit that you say you do. You wrote a blog, I remember, uh, about uh, making, picking, not picking on, but you were you were critiquing uh, people that come from the heartland and move to Brooklyn and then become a hipster. Yeah. And then they kind of subscribe to the hipster lifestyle, even though they possibly don't really understand why they're doing it. Or what they think is the hipster life, lifestyle. You know what I mean? Like, if you go... I tell people all the time, like, if you're... When you go to Manhattan and you're walking around Manhattan, and then if you go to... If you're, like, moved to New York and you move to Williamsburg and Brooklyn, where, which is, like, really where hipster started, you know? That's right. the mecca. Um, you, you you haven't been to New York yet. You haven't met... A, you probably haven't met a New Yorker yet, you know? Because nobody in Manhattan or Williamsburg is from New York. Um... <laughs> So, it's, you know, it's the same thing, you know, like, uh, again, irony, mustaches, you know, <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's irony. Mustaches. Um, you wrote, uh, uh, you, you wrote, uh, this is actually, uh, you'd be surprised how much this gets brought up actually. Um, and I, I have to read this, uh, Warp Tour one. Um, and, and again, it's not to try and. Uh, you did mention some bands, but I'm not going to go into the bands. But the main concept is there. Um, because there, this is kind of why I asked about uh, where's the band tour. Because there is seem there does seem to be a uh, a level, level of um, frustration slash sometimes bitterness slash uh, pounding their head against their uh, their amp. Um, from some of the bands that that came up in Warped Tour 2002 to 2005, yeah. 2007 even, with the generation that just broke out over the past couple of years, mm-hmm. um, and who, a chunk of them are already disappearing. Um, but you wrote, um, <clears throat> the amount of quote-unquote bands that I see using Autotune Live playing to drum tracks with a drummer pretending to play along, people even straight-up lip-syncing it's outrageous. Bands that use professional songwriters and bands that use sex appeal to win over 13-year-old girls, it's just awful. Uh, and then you kind of pointed out like that the bands that are using autotune when they play don't turn it off in between songs, so they sound like autotuned robots when they talk. It's in- such an insult to people's intelligence, and these bands don't even have to hide it because everyone is eating it up anyway. They need to take that shit over to Radio Disney. <laughs> But you're not the first person at all no. that has said that sort of thing. No, no. And um, see, I, I think there's room in the world for everything. I think there's room in the world for bands like ours. I think there's room in the world for Justin Bieber. I think that there's room in the world for, you know, any of those bands, you know, uh, 
and I'm not going to be jealous of any of them because mm-hmm. if they're they're doing something that people want to listen to for whatever reason, you know. Mm-hmm. My problem is where where the lines get blurred, you know, where where bands bands like that or you know bands that are essentially pop pop groups like mm-hmm. for you know they're totally pop groups because they, I mean they're they're put together and they have songwriters and they they can't sing they can't play and so they're pop groups and they're using venues like Warp Tour and and all the things that are supposed to be there for like the honest music listening people you know okay. and I mean I have to say that even like pop music isn't honest because I listen to tons of pop music but it's it's there for us for people who are expecting a certain thing out of it you know right. and then for these bands these basically pop bands to say well you know we can't just have you be a boy band because there's already a stigma on that you know like the sync is gone so you can't just be a boy band so why don't you hold this hold this thing and and wear this and grow your hair out a little more and then we'll put you on this tour and then nobody will know that you're just like in sync you know what i mean it's like <laughs> so it's tricky, you know. Like it's it's using those those venues and and outlets to trick people into thinking that it's a band when it's not, you know. So the, I I think there's a place in the world for all all sorts of music, and I'm never jealous of a band's success, you know. Even if I think that they're the worst band in the world, you know mm-hmm. what I mean. But like take it take it somewhere else, you know. The one of the one of our most popular blog entries we've had on the All Press website um, came from Keith Buckley. And he essentially <clears throat> made that same argument was just like he was just, you know, folded his folded his arms watching, you know, just watching that show, watching these same sort of bands shaking his head going, how? Mm-hmm. Like, why? Why are these fans eating this up? Yeah. You know, why? Why aren't you supporting? I guess in a way he was saying, why aren't you supporting the honest band? The, yeah. You know, the real musician, the one that doesn't need, uh, you know, to be playing along to something. Or because they don't know the difference because the, that because they're playing the same show. That's why. And that's my problem. You know what I mean? It, the kids go to Warp Tour and they see Warp Tour as a genre. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And they don't know the difference between Every Time I Die and, you know, one of those other bands, right. you know what I mean? Or Bayside and one of those other bands. They don't know the difference because they're at Warp Tour. Like, why would you go to Warp Tour and assume that one of those bands doesn't write their own songs or that they're, ba- like, they're, you know, they walk off stage and call their manager and see how many spins the single got on whatever or on Radio Disney or whatever, you know what I mean? <laughs> or if they're, <clears throat> like, if they're vying to be on the cover of Tiger Beat, you know what I mean? Like, they don't know because they, because they're infiltrating that scene, you know. Right. And that again, that is the problem. That is the problem is like using using the integrity that our bands have helped build for things like Warp Tour, and you know th- all those different all those different outlets. Like there is an integrity there, and there is a trust from the from the listenership. Mm-hmm. Of what you're getting, you know what I mean, and I'm sure it's the same with with your magazine. Kids right. know that if they're not if they're reading AP, they know they're not reading Tiger Beat. You know what I mean, and they're they're going to trust it. But, they're going to trust I, your your word. But I I do understand, and we do get um, uh, to be to be honest. I mean, we we get crap when we cover some of those bands that you're probably referring to. But it, and and you know, and it's like, well, why are you coming? Because and and essentially the argument is, that, yeah, these bands aren't legitimate. And, it's relevant, and, you know, and but but there are fan bases for them, and so it is difficult. I think you're 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 nailing it. It's hard to differentiate between um, doing, you know. Uh, I'm sure Warp Tour feels the same way. When do when do you start uh, picking and choosing out 
what uh, the fans should see yeah. versus what they want to see. And that's very difficult to yeah. do when, uh, you know, uh, you're uh, running a business and, and, and your fans are coming to you saying, I want everything, mm-hmm. you know, and it is, it's the Justin Bieber thing and so forth. I mean, there are plenty of people just because of the iPod that listen to everything. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's the, the school lunch room that we grew up in where everybody who sat at a different table had their own genre is yeah. gone. Mm-hmm. It's everybody's listening to everybody. And now the jock is listening to my favorite band and it pisses me off. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe it makes me have to go more underground. <laughs> you know what I mean? But yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, but it's, this is the underground. You know what I mean? Like we are the underground. So this is where people over the years have retreated to. To, like right. to find real stuff, and then when when In Sync gets tattoos, you know what I mean, and starts holding <laughs> and starts uh, starts holding a guitar and comes down here with us, it's it's fucked up. You know what I mean? So well, okay, well, it, 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 you know, maybe 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 we, you know, maybe maybe it's uh, you know, maybe maybe they'll they'll have to, maybe there's just a natural thinning out of the gra- of the crowd eventually. And yeah, seems, yeah, totally. You know. There's new undergrounds that pop up, you know, and I'm I'm seeing it happen now. I'm seeing really? it with, yeah, I'm seeing it with bands like Title Fight and bands like <clears throat> uh, like this time next year and and uh, Balance and Composure and Transit. There's all these awesome new bands and the Menzingers, all these awesome new young bands that are drawing tons of kids, outdrawing a lot of these wannabe pop groups, you know. Right. Um, and what, it's this awesome new underground that's happening, and it's happening. What's the sound? At, it's happening out of necessity. What's it's not this, even a sound. A lot of those right. bands sound completely different. It's more of a. It's a scene. It's the way that when I was a kid, I listened to Sunny Day Real Estate and Glassjaw and Lagwagon. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's 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 a it's more of a culture than a sound. Than so a, you know. So we get a lot of that. We get letters from from readers. Readers like maybe 19, 20, 21 years old who are like, God, I hate music. This scene sucks. What happened to everything? And so you're, you're so the a, way you're saying have faith. I'm saying there's a new underground that's being created out of necessity. And I think it's, I think it's awesome. I think it's really cool to see that like all these 19 year old kids in bands are starting bands and playing house shows and playing in VFW halls and playing to whoever will come and hear them, you know, and they're part of this thing and they go on tour with their friends and this whole new thing, you know, and it's happening because what was the underground is not the underground anymore, you know? And there's – so a new one is kind of being built out of necessity. And it's awesome, you know? And maybe one day that will become the mainstream and then there will be a new one. But You wrote uh, – you made a quote um, on your blog again. Uh, a lot of people ask when we knew that we had made it. And I usually don't have an answer because I have always been a believer that truly making it doesn't afford you the time to notice that you have. Yeah. Because, I mean, uh, I talked to, like, you know, some friends in much bigger bands than now. You know, Amy from Evanescence is, 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 a, is a really good friend of mine. And, hmm. and uh, I've had this conversation with her a bunch of times and with, with Pete, from, you know, Wentz. I was like, when do you know? When, do, when, do you know you're, when did you know you arrived? And they were like, yeah, I, don't, I don't know if I have, really. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, you have, man. Like, <laughs> you're, you're there. And... um it's because, you know, and a lot of, another thing that they all say, and a lot of, and I could even say at this point, like, it's harder to stay there than it is than it, to get there even. You know, you don't even realize that the struggle never ends. You know, you never, you're never in the clear. You know, you're constantly trying to figure out how to get bigger, how to, how to maintain. Um, which would you would rather, which level would you rather be at? Would you rather be trying to get there or would you rather be there and trying to maintain? Um, I, you know, I... 
it's really what I'm trying to say is that you're always trying to get there. You know what I mean? Because even those bands are always trying to figure out how to be even bigger. You know? Uh, even, I, you know, you too is trying to figure out how can we sell more records? How can we get more people to come to the shows? You know? You always have to think that way. You know? You can never just, like, let's book a show and put it on our MySpace page and kids will show up because we're so-and-so. You know what I mean? You're always gotta, you always got to try to sort it out. Um, so I, you know, and what, I think what, from what, while we've been talking about what, what have I learned from our experiences, what have I learned from our conversations with other people, what have I learned, what have I learned, what have I learned, it's that it doesn't, like, I, don't, I wouldn't rather be anything, you know what I mean? I'd rather just play shows and write songs and whatever comes, comes, you know? Well, while you're in Europe traveling all over the place, I'll be extremely jealous. <laughs> um, I wish you the best of luck with this record. Cool. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, we should reconnect again on here, um, uh, with the next record yeah. and we'll see, uh, we'll see if you've, uh, pissed anybody off on your blog lately. So <laughs> yeah, we'll definitely be back. You know, I'm, you know, I'm always, I'm always down for a good conversation. Is there going to be another, uh, where's the band tour? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. We, we, we do it pretty much like just about every year around the holidays is cause that's when all four mm. of our bands are, are definitely off. You know, because through the year, it's tough to get all four of our bands free. But, um, you know, every year around, or, you know, every winter, you know, I don't see us giving it up anytime soon. It's way too, we have to way too much fun doing it. That's beautiful. Uh, take care of yourself. And I'll yeah. S- we'll talk to you. Thanks for having me. The AP Podcast has been sponsored by Epitaph Records, featuring new releases from Bring Me the Horizon, Frank Turner, Parkway Drive, and Social Distortion. For more information on all Epitaph Records news, release schedules, and exclusive videos and merch, head to epitaph.com. AP Podcasts are recorded at Lava Room Recording Studio in Cleveland, Ohio, a New York City quality studio at Cleveland Prices. Check out www.lavaroomrecording.com. For more information on Alternative Press Magazine, go to www.altpress.com. The podcast engineer is John Walsh. Post-production assistance from Rob Bertenzi. I'm Mike Shea, and this is all my fault. You can reach me directly at www.myspace.com slash Mike Shea AP. That's S-H-E-A like the stadium, AP. 